mysterious vehicle of prayer. The mysterious vehicle of prayer. Let me begin, though, with a story. Late one afternoon, a pilot in one of the main U.S. airlines was circling his destination airport in bad weather trying to land. The captain was especially anxious to get his bird on the ground this day because in the evening, his church were having some special meetings and he really did want to attend. However, it really did look like he was going to be disappointed because the longer he flew, the worse the weather became. So he decided to pray. And he asked the Lord to make a way for him. Within just a few minutes, there was a break in the clouds. Permission to land came over the radio, and he was on the ground and on his way home faster than ever he imagined possible. As he was driving down the freeway, he was thinking, oh, well, thanking God for what he'd done, but then his thoughts went to his colleagues that were still in a holding pattern in the bad weather. And so he said to the Lord, Lord, why is it that I got down, but they are still up there? And in that way that we can all identify with God speaking in the stillness of our heart, this is what God said to him in reply. You asked, they didn't. You asked, they didn't. Prayer always makes a difference. The mystery of prayer is that it's the God-ordained partnership that he has initiated between himself and his people to bring about his purposes on the earth. The puzzle of prayer is that God has commanded us to tell him what he already knows and to ask him to do what he already desires. And the power of prayer is that God has promised that when we ask him, he will hear and he will answer. When we pray, something always happens. Why don't we say that together? When we pray, something always happens. And through prayer... Circumstances are changed, hearts are softened, evil is thwarted, wickedness is foiled, history is shaped, and breakthroughs come about. So to help us engage in this mysterious vehicle of prayer, let's zero in on it this morning. As I've already mentioned, this is one of your core commitments. It's number two on the list. And in order to help us understand some of the principles of prayer that are in the Bible, I want us to turn to a familiar story in the Old Testament. It's in 1 Kings chapter 18. So why don't we turn there, please, in our Bibles. 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to pick the story up in verse 41. But before we get there, let me explain what's happened immediately before. For three years, 
God has shut up the heavens over Israel because of the way Ahab and Jezebel have led the nation astray. From verse 20 to verse 40, we read that thrilling account, one of the most dynamic passages in the whole Old Testament of Elijah on Mount Carmel. There stands the champion of God right in the very nerve center of Baal worship. He's outnumbered 850 to 1. But he stands there in defiant faith and sees God sent fire from heaven in response to his request. Then under that same anointing, he slays all the prophets of Baal in a gory cleansing of the land. And that's usually where most of us stop. We are very familiar with that power struggle on Mount Carmel when one man of God defeats 850 false prophets. But actually the story goes on. And the next six verses, or seven verses, verses 41 through 46, are equally important. In fact, they are probably more important than what's gone before. In verses 20 to 40, what Elijah does, he does in public. But in verses 41 to 46, he moves to working privately. Never mistake prominence for significance. It doesn't have to be up front and center the most important things we do. Often that happens behind the scenes. And right here is a great example of that. So why don't we read this together and it will be up on the screen behind me if you prefer to follow on in that context. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go get, I'm reading by the way from the New Living Translation. That's something that warms my wife's heart, by the way. <laughs> my, my preferred version is the ESV. Val's preferred version is the NLT because it, it speaks more in the heart language. And if ever I use the NLT publicly, she sees it as a little victory. So there we are. This morning we are using the New Living Translation, especially for my lovely wife. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, go and look out towards the sea. The servant went and looked and returned to Elijah and said, I don't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising up from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, Hurry to Ahab and tell him, Climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. 
And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. Okay, there are a number of details here that speak to us three millennia later. And they instruct us in the principles of prayer. Look at verse 42. It says, Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel. This focuses on the commitment to prayer. The commitment to prayer. Elijah has just experienced the high point of his ministry and probably one of the high points in the whole history of Israel. Watched by the king and thousands of spectators, he asks God to come in power. And immediately the Lord answers him. Fire falls from heaven. It consumes the sacrifice. It consumes the altar. And it evaporates all the water that the prophet has put there just to make God's task even more apparently difficult but with dramatic effect. Baal is defeated and the whole nation turns their heart back to God. Now that's not a bad day's work. But these initial events on Mount Carmel even though they were right up there with the crossing of the Red Sea or the fall of the walls of Jericho or the, the, the humbling of Pharaoh through the ten plagues, don't stop the prophet from praying. It didn't prevent him from understanding that the work was only partially done and he needed to pray in the next episode so there would be a complete return to the Lord. Even the fact that God had promised rain, that's in verse 1, didn't preclude Elijah from climbing up the mountain and praying the promise into being. The anointing of the Spirit... Mighty demonstrations of power, seasons of blessing, miracles happening, and the promises of God's word are no substitute for prayer. Prayer is God's timeless call on the church. E.M. Bounds says prayer of prayer, he says, God shapes the world by prayer. It's the means by which Christ carries out his great work here on the earth. God himself says, if my people will pray, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. Prayer is not a feeling we express. It's a commitment that we make. And when we do, we are following in the example of all the great men and women of God, both in the Bible and in church history. For example, Jesus prayed, often early in the morning, sometimes late at night, and certainly in the Garden of Gethsemane before 
his death on the cross. Centuries later, Susanna Wesley, John Wesley's mother, used to pray. She prayed in her kitchen, and she would pull her apron up over her head so her children knew, you don't disturb mama when she's like that, she's praying. Her famous son, John, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he prayed while riding his horse. Daniel Rowland, the famous Welsh preacher, prayed out in the fields. Alexander McLaren, the Scottish Bible teacher, used to go on prayer walks. Charles Spurgeon prayed in his rocking chair. And David Brainerd, the first missionary to the Aboriginal peoples of North America, would ride deep into the forest to have his prayer times. You see, prayer isn't a feeling we express. It's a commitment that we make. In fact, if we wait until there's a desire to pray, or we feel a prompting to pray, it probably will never happen. Mike Bickle, the founder of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, identifies these three stages of prayer. He says it begins with a decision, it continues as a discipline, and it becomes a delight. It begins with a decision, a commitment, a making up of our mind that we are going to start to pray. I remember some years ago when I was at Bible school, I went to the um, cupboard to get some cleaning supplies to clean my room. And when I opened the door, I got the shock of my life because sitting inside the cupboard was my friend. He was all hunched over. He had his Bible in one hand and a flashlight in the other. And I said, whatever are you doing in here? He said, I said, I'm having my devotions. He said, this is the only place I can get privacy in the entire college. And because he knew that none of the male students would go to the, <laughs> the place where you got the cleaning supplies to clean their rooms. That told me one thing about Frank Gamble. He decided to pray and he was following through on his commitment I wonder, have we settled that issue? Have we made a commitment? We're going to pray. I'm speaking to us individually, but I'm especially speaking to us corporately. Johann von Goethe, the German scholar and writer, once said this, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a lifestyle. Sow a lifestyle, reap a destiny. The thought must become an action if destiny is to happen. And nowhere is that more true than in this area of prayer, this mysterious vehicle. This call to partner with God himself to bring about his purposes on the earth. And the first principle is it begins with a commitment.
But there's more. Look at verse 43. Then he said to his servant, I remember seeing that for the first time. And I realized, hey, gee, Elijah didn't go back up the mountain on his own. He took his servant with him. When he went to pray, he didn't pray alone. He prayed with somebody else. And that brings our next principle of prayer into focus. The plurality, the plurality of prayer. Let's see if we can say that better than I just did. The plurality of prayer. An old African proverb says, run alone and you can run fast. Run together and you can run far. Some things are just better done together and prayer is one of them. You know, of the 37 verses that the New Testament takes up to teachers on prayer, 33 of them, it's about 90%, assume that prayer is something we do together, not on our own. Now, I'm not saying we don't pray on our own. What I am saying is we do pray together, or we are called to pray together. Let me give you some examples. In Luke 4, when Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, the you there, when you pray, is plural. In the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus tells his disciples, ask and it will be given you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you, the verbs are plural. Ask, seek, find. And the you in that great promise of Jesus in John 14, verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. That too is plural. Whatever you plural ask in my name, that will I do. The same pattern emerges throughout the book of Acts. Before the Holy Spirit falls in Acts chapter 2, we are told that there were 120 men and women who were all together in one place, praying for the promise of the Father to be fulfilled. They prayed together. The church in Jerusalem devoted themselves, it says in Acts 2, 42 and 44, to the apostles' doctrine, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship and to prayer. And they did it together. When the Sanhedrin threatened the apostles and told them if they continued preaching in the name of Jesus, they were going to kill them, the whole church, plural, came together and prayed with such power that the room where they were shook. The night before Peter's execution, the church came together and prayed for his deliverance. And as a result... Angels were dispatched, chains were broken, guards were put to sleep, and cell doors and prison gates opened of their own accord. And against all the odds, when it looked totally impossible, God's servant was set free. And so it goes on. 90% of the teaching on prayer assumes 
It's happening corporately. There's a reason for that. Prayer is synergistic. Now, by that, I mean a hundred people praying together are more effective than a hundred people praying on their own. Let me illustrate this with a story. The 44-meter-long Broughton Suspension Bridge was just outside Manchester in England, was considered to be one of the strongest in the country. It was built in 1826, and it stood strong and firm for five years. But on the night of April the 12th, 1831, a detachment of 74 soldiers from the 60th Rifle Corps, marching four abreast, started over it. And immediately, the men began to feel the bridge swaying under the rhythm of their marching. Well, they liked that. And so they started to whistle a marching tune. And, and, and as they got into this, so they began to march with greater Further, and the bridge started to sway some more. Well, after just a few minutes, one of the supporting columns collapsed, and then the whole structure unraveled and was in ruins. An investigation discovered that mechanical resonance resulting from the rhythm of the tramping soldiers had literally unraveled the bridge. And as a result, an edict was given to the British Army, and it's still in effect today, that when soldiers cross a bridge, they break step. Because marching in unison is just too destructive. Now translate that to prayer. The united praying of the church of God is just too destructive to the strongholds of the enemy. And that's why the enemy wants to discourage us from praying together. And he'll put all sorts of distractions in our way. Weariness, great TV programs, other things. You see, if the devil can't stop us becoming Christians... He'll stop us becoming effective Christians. And the number one place he goes for is prayer. My urging to you as a fellowship, irrespective of everything else that you do in terms of fellowship or evangelism or worship, is to come together to pray. I, I can't... I can't emphasize how crucial this is. And I can't emphasize how important it is and how it will change the destiny of your life as a community in this part of southern Manitoba if you make a commitment to pray in plurality, corporately, together, as a church. So the first principle of prayer is... Commitment, deciding to pray. 
And the second principle of prayer is plurality. Deciding to pray together. But there's more. Look now, look at verse 1 actually. There God promises Elijah, I will soon send rain. Now I find it fascinating that that didn't cause Elijah just to sit back passively and say, oh, God's going to do it. He's going to send rain. He's going to, I needn't do anything else. It actually urged him to be proactive and to agree with God and to partner with God, remember? That's the mystery of prayer. It's a partnership between heaven and earth, between God and his people. And he doesn't allow that promise just to happen spontaneously. He goes up the mountain to pray it in. And this demonstrates our third principle of prayer, the focus of prayer. Elijah had a single focus when he went up that mountain. And it was that God would send the rain. Remember, there's been not a drop for three years. The land is, is parched, livestock are dying, they're on the brink of a famine. And now the man of God begins to pray according to the promise of God that the rain will come. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul likens prayer to a Roman soldier's sword. Now, the sword that the Roman soldiers had was not one of those massive two-handed things that you swing with a, gave a wide swath that may or may not connect. It was the very short, razor-sharp, needle-pointed gladius. And it, it was designed for close hand-to-hand -hand combat where a Roman soldier's Practice thrusts would do the maximum damage. He focused on certain areas. And that's a key to effective prayer. Not to pray like wielding a two-handed sword all the way around the world. But rather with surgical focus. Don't just pray, Lord, provide for our needs. Lord, give us the $20,000 we need this month. Give us the $5,000 we need this week. Give us the $715,000 we need today. That's the difference between wide prayer, general prayer, and specific prayer. Don't just pray, Lord, add to our church, but Lord... Bring in people from the north and the south and the east and the west. Bring in youth. Bring in young families. Bring in members of our worship team. I was so grateful this morning when we prayed. And we prayed specifically for, for worship team leaders and, 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 and so on. Because in prayer, we need to be specific. When we were in Langley, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I'm going to say it again. Um, that church was white, Anglo-Saxon Protestant. There were two Indian families, but predominantly white. And that's, that's great. 
But in this cosmopolitan culture, that could be so much more rich. And so we began to pray that God would bring people in from the north and the south and the east and the west. Now, when we leave the answering of that to God, he thinks much bigger than us. Standing in Langley and praying that, when I was praying, Lord, bring people in from the east, I was thinking Alberta. One of our Christmas services, I sat next to a guy and I said, oh, hi, my name's John. Where, what's your name? And he gave his name. Oh, where are you from? He said, Iran. And I thought, <laughs> when I think east, I, I think Albert. When God thinks east, he thinks Iran. He thinks Iraq. He thinks Israel. He thinks Nigeria. He thinks South Africa. He thinks so much bigger than we do. When I said bring them in from the south, I mean, I, I was meaning maybe Washington State. God's thinking Mexico. He's thinking Brazil. He's thinking Chile. And when we visited there at the, the beginning of this month, it was a thrill to see 22 different nations represented and the whole color of the church changed in answer to specific prayers. We also specifically prayed, Lord, bring in the missing demographic. They had no young people. And yet there was a university 10 minutes away. Give us an inroad into the university. Well, the details would take too long to explain. Long story short is God made a connection. And when we left, there were two rows of young people specifically in answer to our prayers. See, when we pray, something always happens. We're never just whistling in the dark. We're never just talking to the air or talking to ourselves. It's this mysterious vehicle, this partnership between heaven and earth that God has ordained that we engage in. So it's better with a commitment, with a partner, plurality, and with a focus. When Jesus said, whatsoever you ask in my name, this will I do. He was telling us to be specific, to be focused, to be surgical. You know, prayer is like a sniper's rifle that always hits the bullseye. It's not like a blunderbuss, you know, those early shotguns that they used to carry on top of the stagecoaches that went up and down England. You know, if, if, if they were attacked, the, the driver would pull the trigger and there'd be a great bang and a great belch of smoke, but nothing ever got hit. And sometimes our praying can be like that. Let's be specific. Let's be focused. Let's be surgical in our prayers. Howie Hendricks, the former professor of hermeneutics at Dallas Theological Seminary, used to say about prayer, we need to guard against the slimy ooze of indefiniteness. Be focused. Can I add two more riders to this two more truths as well as being focused can I urge us to be bold 
when we pray. When Jesus said to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man could have asked for a better begging spot or he could have asked for a generous gift of alms. But he, he, he went for broke. He shot for the moon. He asked for his sight. And that's what he received. If his trajectory would have been lower, that's what he would have received. But because he prayed a bold prayer, made a bold request, he got his eyesight back. So when we are asking God in prayer, let's not limit it to what we imagine is possible or what we think is probably going to happen. Let's ask God for big things. See, as David Jeremiah says, when God's in the picture, everything changes. And what's huge to us is small potatoes to him. So let's be bold. Do you believe that God could fill every chair in this room? Do you believe that the car park would not be big enough for all the vehicles of people coming here? Do you believe that God has young people in southern Manitoba that are looking for a fellowship just like this? Do you believe that God could pour out his spirit with so much power that there could be healings and deliverances right here in your very midst? See, if we don't say, Lord, expand my faith, expand my imagination... I believe, forgive my unbelief, give me a bigger picture and the confidence to ask you for greater things. So, first rider, be bold. Second rider, be expectant. After Elijah and his servant had prayed for a while, the prophet sent him to look out to sea. You see, out in the Mediterranean there, West of where Elijah was on Mount Carmel. That's where storm clouds gathered and used to bring in the rain. When it used to rain four years before. And what this tells us is that amidst his bold prayer, send the rain. Elijah was also expectant. He was in anticipation. He was probably quite excited that God was going to act. He, they knew that God had spoken and that he was committed to answering his prayers. You see, prayer isn't like a slot machine that, you know, we ask and, and, and out comes an answer automatically. Sometimes God actually does answer us quickly, but at other times we have to persevere. And that was the case here. In fact, there's an interesting detail. I don't know if you noticed it. But as we read, it, it says Elijah prayed with his face between his knees. Now actually, that was the posture that midwives in the day put pregnant mothers in when they were at term. It was a birthing posture. And just as Labor is rarely uh, a quick thing, over and done with. So it is with prayer, and certainly Elijah's prayer here. He had to send his servant back time after time after time, 
And rather than being discouraged, Elijah was enlivened to press on with the battle. That brings us to our fourth principle of prayer. Persistence. Okay, what, what, I, what was the first principle? Commitment. Second principle? Plurality. Third principle? Focus. And now the fourth principle? Persistence. Often it might seem that when we are praying, nothing is happening. Never believe that, by the way. When we pray, something is always happening. We might not see it. We might not feel it. There might not be evidence. But something really is happening. Even when we don't see it, he's working. Even when we don't feel it, he's working. He's always working. And when we are praying into a situation, that situation is out of our hands and into God's hands. And he has gone to work to change it. His job is to act. Our job is to ask and ask and ask and ask. I mentioned a minute ago that lovely verse in, in uh, Matthew. Ask and you will receive. And I said that the, the verb is plural. But there's something else about the verb. It's present continuous. In other words, it's ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. In Luke 18, Jesus tells them a parable about the persistent widow that they should pray and not lose heart. Remember the acronym PUSH. Pray until something happens. That's persistence. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist of the 19th century, had a, a prayer list, and on it was the names of a hundred people. He was asking to come to Christ. Year after year, he prayed for them. And eventually, the list got shorter and shorter and shorter. From 100, there was 90. From 90, 80. And eventually, down to 20 names. Then 10 names. And at the end of his life, there were just four names on it. And he kept praying that God would hear and God would answer. Those, he passed away, those four people still on his list. But the thing was, they came to his funeral. And at his funeral, they gave their lives to Christ. And the prayers that were persistent over his life were answered. That's what Elijah and his servant are doing here. They're being persistent in prayer. They're laboring in prayer, laboring in prayer to see the rains come. The prophet taking the posture of a woman in labor, birthing through his prayers the promise of God. And soon, the servant sees a cloud the size of a man's hand, just a small beginning. But eventually, the sky was black with clouds, it says, verse 45, and a heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. That leads us to the fifth and final thing that I'll mention but not unpack. 
the breakthrough of prayer. Commitment, plurality, focus, persistence, breakthrough. Commitment, plurality, focus, persistence, breakthrough. In a moment, the drought broke, the famine ended, livestock was replenished, people survived, the lands brought into blessing, people turned back to the Lord because Elijah went up the mountain a second time. When we pray, something always happens. Val, why don't you come up? Is there a microphone that we could use, please? Thank you. Because having had the theory, now we're going to have the practice just for a few minutes. Yes. All right, we're going to pray with the person next to us or the person behind us or whatever. Just a little group, let's say no more than four. Okay, so if you need to move, let's do that now. Don't let it take time, just quickly, or if you're ready to pray with someone beside you, next to you, in front of you, behind you. All right? And we're going to go so that the word that we've heard becomes flesh inside us. We are going to do what we've heard. All right? So, let's all pray first for our pastor. God has the man of his choice for this church. And so we're going to ask and keep on asking that he will bring him to us. So let's pray, all of us together. So we're going to pray corporately uh, for the pastor, the pastoral couple that God has to lead us on into his purposes. All right, so I'm going to say one, two, three, go in a moment. Don't let's be afraid of our own voices or the voices of the people behind. Let's just go for it. Call out to the Lord for our pastor, all right? So one, two, three, go. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We just trust you. Amen. Now we're going to pray that God adds strength into this church. We need a worship leader or worship leaders. 
We need a youth leader and youth leaders. So let's ask God to add strength to bring people in and to grow this congregation. Okay, so that's what we're going to pray for. A worship leader, a worship leaders, a youth leader, um, and others that God can use with the youth, and that he adds strength and grows this congregation. Okay, let's go then. Let's pray for these things. Thank you, Lord. Okay, let's bring that into land. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And let's just pray as well for the situation in Israel and Gaza. I don't know how to pray. Um, so let's just pray whatever's on your heart. We are commanded in Scripture to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So we can certainly start there. But let's just uh, lift to the Lord whatever's in your heart for this situation and for the hostages, over 200 hostages who are still being uh, kept, and all the horrors of what's going on in that part of the world. So let's bring this to the Lord as well, okay?
men, to all that we've prayed together in these few moments. And Father God, we say you are able and more than able to accomplish your will in and on the earth in these days and to accomplish your will here in Landmark, <laughs> to accomplish your wonderful will here in this church, in this community of faith. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, glorify yourself, be lifted up, and establish your purposes right here in this community of faith. We bless you together. And Father, we're going to keep calling out to you. We're going to ask and keep on asking. We're going to knock and keep on knocking and seek and keep on looking for your wonderful will and purposes to be established for your glory, Lord. And we bless you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.